Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. As you're considering your plans for this new year, we wanted to let you know TBC will be embarking on a Journeys of Paul tour July 7th through 16. We'll step into history and walk where the Apostle Paul walked as we visit Philippi, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, and many other meaningful locations. This tour will bring the scriptures to life with worship services and Bible studies with Pastor Jim. You can learn more at thevillagechapel.com tour. This week, we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. Now, here's Pastor Jim. The first four books of the New Testament all record this event I want to read today from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Most of the English Bibles will have inserted a heading that reads something like this, The Triumphal Entry. And listen, what we read here describes an event that was indeed dramatic. It was deliberate, and it demanded a response. And uh, I think it's just a really powerful uh, passage of Scripture. They approached Jerusalem, Jesus, his disciples, and the throngs of followers, probably included people like um, Mary and Martha, the formerly dead Lazarus, the formerly blind Bartimaeus, who's probably just going, what's that? What's that? What's that? All along the way, as they're walking down the Palm Sunday Road between um, essentially Jericho and Jerusalem, much closer now to Jerusalem. And even in verse 1, it, it will tell us that they're up near Bethany and Bethphage, two villages or towns uh, just to the south of Jerusalem. They approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives. And he, Jesus, sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. Matthew's gospel makes it clear that this is the colt of a donkey, not just the colt of a horse. If anyone says to you, verse 3, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back here. And so the use of the word immediately, as we've talked about uh, in previous episodes of this podcast, uh, Mark is, is, is very fond of that word. And it's kind of a fast paced, you know, gospel because he's always saying immediately, immediately, immediately. There's always a change of scene or a change of idea, a change of thought, whatever. And so when you, uh, when Jesus tells these disciples, go, you'll see a cult of a donkey, you'll see a cult there, untie it. If somebody asks you a question about it, you say the Lord has need of it, and immediately they're going to respond and tell you to bring it back here. Well, they went away, verse 4 says, and they found a cult tied at the door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. And they gave them permission. So exactly as Jesus had said it would go, that's the way it went. He's pretty good at that kind of thing. And whether, listen, whether this is a supernatural thing that happened or something Jesus had set up in advance really doesn't matter, does it? It's not that, it, that's not what's really critical and important in this entire passage. Watch what happens next. This 
is really, really powerful. Verse 7, they brought the colt to Jesus. They put their garments on it, and he sat upon it. And many spread their garments in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed after were crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of your father David, or our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And you can just kind of get the impression there that there's quite a procession here. And a lot of folk are getting really excited as Jesus is approaching um, the religious capital city, uh, Jerusalem itself. And they're thinking about what they're familiar with from their ancient Jewish scriptures. More on that in just a minute. So they begin to literally quote Psalm 118. They're saying, Hosanna, which means Lord save now. It's an exclamatory um, it, 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 statement. It's also, it, it's kind of a combination of, of praise and a cry for salvation. Uh, save now. And uh, so they're shouting that, shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord from Psalm 118. And uh, verse 11, which I want to finish reading today's passage, says this, Jesus entered Jerusalem. Wow, that's amazing. And he came into the temple. And after looking all around, he departed for Bethany with the 12, since it was already late. So this all in just 11 verses happens pretty fast as we read it. But I think if you're walking along the road, you're, you know, you're seeing all of these throngs and throngs of people. You're seeing, um, from when you read Matthew's gospel or Luke's gospel, you'll find as well there that uh, there are religious leaders there and they're trying to shush the people from singing Hosanna. And they're trying to tell Jesus that he needs to tell those people to be quiet and that it's blasphemy for them to be saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, while looking at Jesus. And uh, Jesus essentially says to them, if, if, if these folks don't get to sing this, the rocks are going to cry. In other words, you can't stop all of creation from praising the Lord. Of course, the religious leaders didn't they didn't accept Jesus as the Lord. And so for them, they wanted to shut down the worship and the praise that was going on as people saw Jesus coming toward Jerusalem. A lot of interesting responses to Jesus. Remember, I've said Mark's gospel seems to ask these two questions. Who is Jesus? And this is another one of those passages that really helps answer that question because it's going to connect him directly to Zechariah 9.9. And to Psalm 118, who is Jesus? And uh, Mark is making that pretty clear here. And then how do people respond to Jesus? And here we see a variety of responses to Jesus. Well, let's, let's ask the big question first. Why did Jesus ride into Jerusalem on a donkey? Um, we know that he's predicted three times that he would go to Jerusalem, that he would be arrested, that he would suffer, that he would die, that he would be buried, and that he would rise again from the grave. He's told his disciples on, I think it's chapter 8, verse 31, chapter 9, verse 31, and then we just <clears throat> read it 
once again in chapter 10. And so that's why he's going to Jerusalem. But why did he ride in on a donkey? What did the crowds, um, what, what did they mean when they were shouting Hosanna, Lord save now, and looking at Jesus when they said that? Um, how might they have understood and or misunderstood Jesus, his motives, his intentions, and what he was up to as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And uh, how did those religious leaders react? And what about the Romans? Where are they in all this? They're kind of silent. There's nothing going on there. Um, and the disciples, you know, what are, what are they thinking? Uh, so many of them, it seems, um, had a kind of a, a mixed idea of of even though Jesus had told him three times he was going to lay down his life, seems like some of them were still thinking that he would come as a socio-political Messiah. So what timeless lessons about God's love for us are to be found here? This is a great passage. So let me start with the Zechariah 9, 9 and 10 question first. Um, remember, Zechariah uh, was a, a, a contemporary of Haggai the prophet, um, 6th century BC, uh, remind you, Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. And I don't know about you, but I'm really glad the Lord remembers. The older I get, the less I remember. Um, some of the things I'm trying really hard to remember and I can't quite remember. Um, there are some things that we all probably would like to forget, but I love it that Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. And what of Zechariah's prophecies uh, were promises from God for the children of Israel and for the people that Jesus would come to save? Well, listen to Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10 as I read them. And, and remember what I just read in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Here's Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. He is humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. There's so much there. These are really, really wonderful Old Testament verses from the 6th century BC, way before the time of Jesus. And yet, even as we read that passage from Mark chapter 11, it's so easy to see. It's so obvious that what we read in Mark 11 is a direct fulfillment of what was predicted in Zechariah chapter 9. Wonderful verses they are. The Jews were called to rejoice, to shout joyfully in triumph as their new king was coming. And they were told several things about this promised king and about the kind of kingdom that he would establish. Specifically, what does Zechariah tell us about the one king, the new king who's coming? Well, <clears throat> he would be just, or another way to say it is righteous. Wow, how about that? Who wouldn't want a king that was actually righteous instead of political leaders that are corrupt, instead of political leaders that have 
um, their own agenda in mind, but someone who is righteous. That's really important. Zechariah 9 says that this king that's approaching will be a savior, actually able, capable to save. And yes, Israel in the first century was longing for salvation of God to come and looking for, and Passover at that particular time celebrated the deliverance of God's people from their bondage and slavery in Egypt. And so all of this happening at the at the time of Passover and that Jesus has chosen to come and lay down his life on the cross to offer salvation to us. What else did Zechariah said? Uh, say this this approaching king would be like he'd be righteous or just he'd be a savior um, Zechariah in that passage I just read said this king that's approaching would be humble what's more humble than Jesus riding in on a donkey um, uh, an animal a burden uh, an animal sort of a beast of burden an animal of peace when uh, royal would approach any town or village or city um, if they were coming in sort of a wartime uh, approach, they would come on a steed, a fiery steed. And, you know, this, you know, as Jesus rides in on this donkey, it hardly, you know, it hardly stirs up the image of Zorro or or uh, the Lone Ranger even, you know, to, to people in our day and time who are used to people riding in on a fiery steed, that sort of thing. No, this is definitely... Um, a symbol of Jesus' humility as he comes. And he will bring peace, Zechariah says. And yes, the approach of a royal back in the time, in the ancient days in Israel, to a city on a donkey like that would be a sign that he was coming in peace, to bring peace and to show uh, his peaceful intent. He would ride on a very humble um, beast like a donkey. And then the other thing that Zechariah says that is fulfilled in Jesus is that <clears throat> this coming king that all of God's people have been waiting for would be sovereign over all. Uh, now, again, who wouldn't want a king like that? Let me review. Righteous, savior, capable to save, okay? Humble, um, not arrogant, um, not out just for power's sake, not a megalomaniac, but humble. We'll bring peace and we'll be sovereign over all creation. That's, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of king I would want. And there they were, first century Jews, living under the oppressive uh, rule of the Roman Empire, cruel uh, in so many ways. How do you suppose those first century Jews of Jesus' time would have interpreted that first Palm Sunday approach of Jesus, a person that many had already started to call the Messiah? Again, Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. And there in Mark 11, we read, the Lord remembered, in my view. That's what that says in Mark 11. The Lord remembered, and he came in on that donkey and approached Jerusalem as a symbol and a sign that he was bringing peace between God and man. 
and all of mankind. And for you, for me, we, sinners though we are, Jesus has come to bring us the salvation we so desperately need. We cannot purchase on our own. We cannot earn it on our own. He comes to bring it as a gift. Now, how did everyone respond to Jesus on that first Palm Sunday? Like I said earlier, it was kind of mixed. Uh, some misunderstood Jesus and wanted the socio-political Messiah. That's who they were looking for. And they hoped that when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he would literally turn over everything turn over and turn out the Roman Empire, turn them away, and set Israel free. And there were those who were greatly disappointed in the fact that Jesus didn't come in on a fiery steed, but came in on a donkey like that. So some misunderstood Jesus. I think some rejected Jesus, as we read about in the other gospel records, the religious leaders especially, that they just wanted to maintain the status quo. They wanted to keep their place of privilege and power among the Jewish people. And so here's Jesus, a lot of people pointing to him and saying, he's the king we've always wanted. He's the king we've always needed. He's the Messiah. Let's get behind him. And so this was very unsettling and disruptive to the uh, established um, religious regime of the day. So they rejected Jesus and they wanted to silence him. So some misunderstood, some rejected, but I would like to I would like to think as you as you especially as you get to know the disciples more and more reading through the book of Acts and you see the number of people that do um, see Jesus after he rises from the dead and the number the, the the way the Christian movement just swept the entire Roman Empire without anybody drawing a sword or firing a shot they didn't have guns back then but but you know what I'm saying it it, it was an amazing thing how did all of that happen how do you explain that happening um, maybe the message of the resurrection might be one of those kind of things. And so I think that even on that first Palm Sunday, I think there were some singing Hosanna, some of them singing Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, who believed in Jesus. And they would find life in his name. And I'm I, t- I take the, every time I read this passage, I want to remind myself and remind all of us, uh, no matter where you're at in this world, on this tiny little dust ball sized planet that we live on, um, whether you're in the United States or, or, you know, Southeast Asia or whether you're, whether you're in, uh, uh, the UK or Australia, uh, it doesn't matter where you are doesn't matter if you're in India, doesn't matter if you're in Africa. Jesus is still approaching hearts today. How do you respond to the approach of Jesus to your heart today? I think that's a fair question for us to ask. Jesus came for those who've been sorely disappointed because they thought politics could save them. Uh, But all it has done is expose the ugliness and hatred that's in the hearts of so many people. Because Jesus is king, together we can find a beautiful unity within our diversity in the body of Christ. No matter what country, no matter what continent, no matter what county, if you're here in the United States, no matter what city uh, you live in, 
Um, if Jesus is our king, don't you see, we're united in him, in union with Christ. Now, I belong to Jesus first and foremost, but I also belong to everyone else who belongs to Jesus. And that's a really beautiful thing. Jesus came for all the weak, for all the vulnerable, for all the powerless, uh, for all of us living in a broken world like we do, with broken hearts, some of us. And he came to offer an un unexhaustible, inexhaustible amount of hope and joy, uh, an inextinguishable amount of hope and joy, and abundant life in his name. And my superlatives get mixed up because I just don't think there are words to say that would describe what Jesus Christ can do in a heart, in a mind, even in a world like ours, even in a situation like yours and like mine, no matter what's going on, no matter what's how the train is run, running off the tracks, no matter how chaotic it gets, we can turn to Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And two quotes before I let you go. One, as John Stott has said, the Christian faith is in its very essence a rescue religion. And so no matter where we're at, as we look back all through the history of, uh, of, of uh, what the scriptures teach us about redemption history, we see the God of the Bible is a rescuer. He's a redeemer. He comes and sets his people free. It's a beautiful thing. We want to turn to him. Whether we're Paul and Silas sitting in a prison shackled to the wall or, or chained to some Roman centurion or something, we can sing hymns. We can praise him who is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace. I'll close with this quote from uh, Pastor John Piper. He says it beautifully and powerfully. Uh, and then I wanna, I wanna pray for us. Jesus came the first time and he is coming again as the king over all kings, king of Israel, king of all the nations, king of nature and the universe. Until he comes again, there is a day of amnesty and forgiveness and patience. He still rides a donkey and not yet a white war horse with a rod of iron. He is ready to save all who receive him as savior and treasure and king. Come to him, know him, receive him, live your life in allegiance to him. That from Pastor John Piper and I echo it heartily, encourage you to turn to the Lord. Let's pray to him now. Lord, thank you that you came. You didn't have to come into the world and you certainly didn't have to go that day. You didn't owe it to us. We didn't deserve it. But you on your own initiative, divine initiative, came to lay down your life on the cross to purchase our salvation, um, to forgive us our sins to offer us as a free gift the salvation that we could never achieve on our own. We must simply receive it as a gift from you. 
So for myself, for my friends, my brothers and sisters, no matter where they may be today, no matter what's going on in their lives, I pray that all of us, Lord, as we turn to you and face you in our prayers, just lift up the empty hands of faith and receive the gift of your grace so richly lavished upon us um, in the personal work of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you. Read ahead. Mark chapter 11. Uh, Continue reading that as we move through this beautiful, powerful book. All right. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.